0: Hey everybody, this is Tejan Enamander, host of the Frontier Podcast. Today we've got an awesome episode with CEO Samantha John, who runs a company called Get Hopscotch. And Hopscotch's mission is to create a programming environment that lets kids explore powerful ideas while making real software. So think about it like the next evolution for Scratch, if you've ever used that to learn programming. It's a really fun conversation, learned a lot, and sort of most interestingly, Samantha moved her company from New York City to Puerto Rico. And so she's got a lot of learnings to share with us, and I really enjoyed this conversation, and I'm sure you guys will too. Take care. Thanks for doing this, Samantha. I'm super excited that um, we were able to get you on.
1: Thanks for inviting
0: me. Yeah, hey, so congrats on the Shark Tank appearance and the successful raise from Mark Cuban. That's Thank uh. You. Thank Yeah. You. That's really fantastic. And you've done like a number of interviews and I'm sure everybody in your friend circle has asked like, how did that happen? How did it go? We could talk about that if you want. Do you want to talk about that? Is that still exciting for you?
1: Yeah, we can talk about it. I can tell you a little bit of the story. You know, I had been looking to do more publicity. So I kind of had my ears open and my ears to the ground. Like what can we do to get our name out there more? And I actually got a LinkedIn message from a casting producer from Shark Tank. I don't usually respond to random LinkedIn messages, and I wasn't even totally sure this person was for real, but it seemed as if it fit the type of opportunity I was looking for. So (laughs) I figured I would just answer, and I ended up talking to the casting producer And he convinced me to submit an audition tape. Like, he didn't just put me on Shark Tank. I still had to do a whole audition tape. He helped me out a little bit in making the video. And then they didn't really ever accept me. They just kind of kept saying, You haven't been kicked out yet. You're still in the running to be on Shark Tank. And then, by the way, you know, it was COVID. So everything was so much more complicated. But I got the message in April and filmed Shark Tank in September. And then it aired in February. So, To give you a sense of the timeline, it was almost a year.
0: Wow. Did you think the LinkedIn message was fake at first? I
1: kind of thought it was fake at first. I kind of think all LinkedIn messages are fake.
0: They mostly are, I think. And so did you get an opportunity to meet other folks who were on the show or just the sharks?
1: So kind of. Uh, There was a waiting room beforehand where they did a few people at the same time and there were i think three other companies in the waiting room with me so we all practiced our pitches to each other That's good. and at that point you work with a producer they help you out with your pitch a little bit and you've practiced it a lot at that point you know every word of that pitch but we all did our pitches for each other which was pretty fun and then it was cool to see those people's shows air and be like, yeah. oh, okay, I saw that.
0: That's so cool. So do you have a good sense of the line of questioning or is it sort of like you kind of know and whatever they feel like asking, they'll ask?
1: Yeah, whatever they feel like asking, they'll ask. They're not crazy people though. So what I ended up doing is I gave my pitch to a bunch of friends and family and investors. And then I just asked them to pretend they were sharks and ask me questions after the pitch, which was a really good strategy because I was so bad at answering the questions. I spent about a little over a week before Shark Tank doing this. And probably for the first five days, I sucked. It was only probably a day or two before the show filmed that I finally was pretty confident in how I wanted to answer things and felt as if I was able to get across what I wanted to get across.
0: So I remember, it's like many years ago when I sort of like Googled like how to raise money. There was like a local incubator in town in Nashville. And I just ended up going down there. And one thing led to another. And we ended up like graduating from this incubator. But I've never pitched the business before. You know, they sort of prepare you to do this. Yeah. And so my mom was there. And, um, you know, you're, you're going to go present in front of a large crowd. So I remember just like shotgunning two. Like my mom didn't know what a shotgun of a beer was. <laughs> And I was like, I need a mom, I need a way to take the edge off because I'm going to go and talk about this concept that's now a business in front of hundreds of people, you know. How old were you? Man, I was like, I mean, I was like 22. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. This is many, many years ago. And so I remember that. I'm sure it was nerve-wracking, but I mean, from what I could see, you handled yourself really well. And I liked Barbara's answer. Like, you're so impressive, but I'm not investing. It's like, what? Uh,
1: Barbara, I thought, was trying to trip me up a little bit. She she (laughs) asked me the question, you look scared. Are you scared? And I just, Uh, in my mind, I was like, come on. uh, Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's like, no shit. Of course.
1: But Mark Cuban like- is an investor and he's been really awesome. He gave an interview where he said he never takes calls. He takes maybe one call a month. Yeah. He does everything over email and he's so responsive on email. He answers every email within probably 10 minutes. It's really amazing.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's so cool. So we should probably actually talk about what Hopscotch is and, and what your company does.
1: Of course. So Hopscotch is a coding tool for kids. And what that means is kids use Hopscotch to first learn how to code, uh, and we make that really easy. You don't have to type anything. It's built for iPads and iPhones. Everything is touchscreen. Everything is drag and drop, so it's smooth and simple and gets rid of a lot of the hurdles to programming that you would face in a lot of other environments, whether it's setting up your development environment or downloading the programming language or learning the syntax or even just getting your program to run all of those things we've made really easy. And kids then immediately jump into the actual programming part of programming and actual making stuff. They make games, they make apps, they make animations, simulations, really anything you can imagine they make. And once they're done, they can share it with our community. So they make something really cool. They make a really fun game. They make a really interesting animation. They make a weird simulation, and then they can share it with hundreds of thousands of kids. So there's, they see that there's an, actually an audience of people who care about what they're making, which is super powerful and a huge driver of what kids love about hopscotch. And then the latest thing we're introducing is an in-game currency called Seeds that you can use to buy various things in Hopscotch, including now kids are able to sell stuff inside their Hopscotch projects for Seeds to earn currency. And eventually where we want to go with that is payouts for real money so that kids can look at Hopscotch and say, okay, this is cool. I'm going to learn how to code. I'm going to make something cool. And I'm actually going to be a real programmer because someone will pay me to program.
0: That's so cool. That's awesome. What age cohort is the ideal Hopscotch user?
1: It's interesting because what we've seen is, and and I think this is true for a lot of creative tools, it kind of adjusts to fit where you are. So most people start when they're between nine to 11 and, and they're learning the basics. They're doing very simple things, but still having a lot of fun. And then they get hooked. We've been around for a little bit. We launched the app in 2013 And there's still people using the app who started when they were 10 years old in 2013. And now they're 18, 19. You know, it's pretty common that our best users have been using it for at least four or five years. And It's something that kids stick with and the platform kind of grows with them, both because we've improved the platform since we launched it and just because programming just has an extremely, extremely high ceiling. And that's probably my favorite thing about Hopscotch is just seeing the journey that these incredibly creative, brilliant kids are on.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, so 10 years old, I think that's third grade Right.
1: Third, fourth grade is is about the youngest where they're successful. Fifth graders do really well. It's interesting because I think it's good for those ages because they are young enough where the stuff they can make on hopscotch off the bat feels really cool. Yeah. But they have they're old enough that they have the focus to keep working on something and keep improving it. And you do need some sort of ability to focus to program and an ability to read. So. For six and seven-year-olds, they're a little bit too scattered and they can't read quite well enough. So they have fun with it. They like playing the games. They like doing it with their parents, but they're not quite ready to sit down and build something from start to finish.
0: What's the way that parents can get involved in supporting their kids' use of hopscotch?
1: What I see a lot is the parent is just kind of there to answer questions. And, And often the parent doesn't actually know the answer to the question, but... Um, usually the kids like to work on it on their own, but then have a parent nearby when they feel stuck or, or confused. I think a lot of times the parent is kind of the rubber duck. <laughs> the kid just needs to talk something through.
0: Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. I think that, I mean, that parallels what happens with like homework, you know, <laughs> I sort of, especially if you're studying, I don't know, my parents are immigrants. So at a young age, my parents were unable to help me with my homework. You just <laughs> needed to talk to them, talk at them for a little bit. Yeah. And, Get the answer. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so I guess this would kind of replace like Scratch maybe in computer uh, science classes.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I would say Scratch is is very comparable. And, and I love Scratch. I think they've yeah, done yeah. so much for kids coding and kind of putting out the idea that this can be accessible. And I think they've done a lot of things right. But obviously, I think Hopscotch is better.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, I you know, products have life cycles, and this, yeah, uh, you've learned from from them. Yeah, so.
1: I mean, I think something that's really interesting is that um, what we found is that kids actually do really love to be able to make things that they can play on their phone and tablet, and that's kind of what they think of as their computer, and especially the kids in the kind of middle school age range. I think. As they get older, and this is something we want to eventually address is start to build for more platforms, especially web, because I think that is a really good tool for the older kids. As they grow into Hopscotch, they're getting better at typing. They want to kind of get more performance. You can do things very fast if, once you get good at typing and have keyboard shortcuts and all that. But for starting out, it's so much more delightful to be able to do something on a touch screen. And if you're trying to do drag and drop on a desktop, it kind of hurts your hand after a while. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, I'm sure you've made a lot of decks and uh, just dragging and dropping PowerPoint decks or keynote <laughs> decks is just, I don't know, it's mind numbing and hard on the hands. as you said. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Okay. So how'd you sort of conceive of, of hopscotch? I know you studied applied mathematics. Were you looking for a way to teach somebody in your family how to program or?
1: You know? <laughs> I started hopscotch because I was looking for a way to teach my younger self how to program.
0: Ah, I see. Okay, cool.
1: <laughs> I, I started pretty late. I, I didn't really do programming in college. I, I, I had this sense that it was something more for boys. It didn't feel as if it was aimed for me. I I actually went to engineering school where I studied applied math and started out and just said, okay, no, computer science, that's not my major. That's the first one I eliminated.
0: Wow. Why? Why?
1: I was very frustrated with my computer at that time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't end. I mean, I still don't know how to use a computer. Oh, my computer
1: right now, I spilled water on it the other day and it has like a giant map of Greenland watermark on my screen. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking at you through. I'm so bad with, I'm still terrible with computers. (laughs) And it was very interesting to me when I found out about programming and got really into it and started to love it that... That was something that could be separated from being good at computers and being good at machines, which I most certainly was not instilling mm.
0: that. Yeah, it's, I don't know. Well, my, I remember like I had an exchange with our head of engineering, and I said something like, "I know how to use a computer," and he was like, "Do you though?" I'm like, "Probably not, actually." <laughs> Different windows up in your in your terminal, like I don't, you know. So yeah, how did you find your way to applied to math? Your mom was a scientist. Did you have an interest as a kid in science and math, or a
1: lot of things? of this nature, I think sometimes happen for not super great reasons, or maybe they are great reasons I applied to, I don't know, seven colleges or something, which seemed like a lot at the time. Maybe now it's not a lot anymore. (laughs) And I, I tried to optimize for having something different at each college. So I only applied to one engineering school, which was Columbia University in New York. I think because I thought Columbia seemed to be very liberal arts leaning. So I knew I was good at science and math. And then I didn't know what engineering was, but I thought it was something I should investigate. So I thought that by choosing engineering at the more liberal arts leading school, that would be a good mix somehow. And then what happened is I just visited the schools I got into. And I remember it was called Days on Campus. It was the spring of my senior year of high school. And I visited Columbia. And the engineering school was probably only about 30% women. But every single girl I met at Days on Campus was so cool and smart. They were all my people. And I'm actually still very, very close friends. My best friend from college was someone I met at that Days on Campus event. at I met all these people and I was like, oh, these are the people I want to be friends with. These are the girls I want to know. And that was basically what made the decision for me more so than (laughs) than anything super scientific. Uh, It was it was kind of a gut call based on the people I met.
0: Yeah. So are you from New York?
1: I grew up in Detroit and then went to New York for college in 2005. And then I say it just because I love New York. I stayed from 2005 to 2020. And then mid pandemic, I moved to Puerto Rico. So Shark Tank was filming and I used that as a date to move out of New York. I stayed with my parents for a couple months and then moved to Puerto Rico. And that's where I'm calling in from right now. I'm in San Juan.
0: Wow. Okay. That's a way different answer than I had anticipated. <laughs> So I was going to ask you like where in New York do you get that kind of sunlight? Like that's incredible. <laughs> no, you don't. Uh, yeah, usually there's like a building right next to you. That's so cool. So, do you have any friends there or are you just
1: like, Yeah, you- yeah, you know, it was also for the people. A friend of mine, not even a very close friend at the time. Now she's a very close friend. She rented a seven bedroom house in San Juan and got all her friends to move in.
0: That's so cool.
1: I'm living in a seven bedroom house right now. Uh wow. it's a giant covid pod. I actually just got <laughs> vaccinated, so it doesn't even need to be a pod anymore. But I was feeling very lonely in New York. Yeah. The pandemic. You know, actually, the summer wasn't bad. The summer was pretty fun when you could do everything outside. But I also, for various reasons, felt that I needed to try living in another city. Even if I eventually end up in New York, I wanted to try something new and had been originally planning to move to Paris but that didn't work out due to the pandemic.
0: Totally. I mean, it's killed basically everybody's trip plans and yeah, you know um, okay, so that's interesting. So, I assume everybody's working remotely in the house. Yeah. Okay, cool. Are you the only entrepreneur or are there There other... There are,
1: of the eight of us, six of us are startup founders. Wow. Yeah. One works at kind of a VC slash incubator thing. And the last person was like an early employee at a startup. So it's like real world startup (laughs) or something.
0: Do you like that or does that get troubling? And before you answer, I'll share my own bias with this question. So I lived in San Francisco for a year, like the fund that we first to raise from just had like an apartment out there. And I was like, you know, let's just go. So my, you know, co-founders and I, we went out there and I Man, I did not enjoy being around other startup founders personally. I was like, I want to meet different people from different backgrounds, you know? And it, I just was like, I'm spending my life's energy working on a website. Like, and everybody else is too. I want to meet other interesting people. So that's how I felt. But I think as I've gotten older and maybe more mature, I appreciate people who are going through the same journey. So I'm curious how you feel about it.
1: I have very similar feelings about San Francisco, I will say. It's such an industry town and it, it can be hard to, it's hard for me at least to get my head out of that bubble. And it's the startup thing, but it's also the raising money thing. And it's hard not to compare yourself to everyone all the time. And totally. You feel as if you were falling short.
0: Totally. Oh, yeah. Some company just started a year ago. They're at a billion dollar valuation already. And you're like, what am I doing with my life? Why am I not good? Like, I've been working on this for. Six years. That's my internal... I didn't mean this to turn this into a session, but that's my oh, internal yeah. monologue.
1: Oh, I <laughs> that all the time. All the time. I think for me... And, and this is something that is actually been kind of a recent realization. When I can come back to the mission of what we're working on, that definitely reinvigorates me. And that reminds me, oh yeah, this is why I'm not an investment banker because I'm trying (laughs) to change the world and spending nine years trying to change the world is really not very much time in the grand scheme of things. And I'm happy to spend more than that if it works. So
0: I think it's already working
1: it is and one of my favorite things to see is that there's these kids who didn't see themselves as programmers and didn't think of this as something that they would want to try or you know wouldn't have come through the traditional paths and something that i just think it's important is that hopscotch feels very welcoming to girls and there was a little bit of effort into it but i mean mostly it was just my co-founder and i are both women and we used our own taste to <laughs> decide what was cool and what wasn't yeah but i think that the opposite bias exists as well for a lot of companies or Languages are tools that are started by men that especially for kids can feel very gendered and and turn off girls or, or turn off people who maybe don't always see themselves as technical. And hopscotch feels, in my opinion, much more creative, much more as if it's a tool that anyone could learn. And if you're a girl, you might think that this is something you could do or something that's for you. And seeing those people get on Hopscotch and learn to code and start making really interesting and weird and creative things that I never would have thought of and having that content that they make or having that software that they make out in the world, that software that just wouldn't have existed without Hopscotch and seeing these people go on a journey that wouldn't have existed without Hopscotch, that is very powerful to
0: see. Yeah. like, in some ways you're making the sort of future arrive faster by enabling people to code.
1: Making the future arrive in a slightly better direction.
0: (laughs) True. Yeah. We can hope. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, you know, I'm curious, like what are some metrics that you guys track around information uptake or learning how to code?
1: That's literally a trillion dollar question. It's so hard. It's so hard. We don't have a good answer. And I see a lot of people who do education tools or education apps, and there are things that are easy to track, such as how many lessons did you do? Or yep. let's make some puzzles. How many puzzles did you solve? How difficult did the puzzles get? And and the more you can constrain the problem, the easier it is to measure. The problem is the more you constrain the problem, the less interesting educationally it is. So if you're really trying to open people up and have them learn by doing and creating and let them explore different avenues, you know, think about just yourself when you learn something new, how do you even know that you learned it? A lot of times you don't (laughs) (laughs) like you're, I'm constantly trying to figure out like, do I actually know that? Oh, I I don't know. So for us as a platform where we're not even interacting with you to figure out how much you've learned, it feels very audacious for us to say, we know how much you've learned or didn't learn. That said, people, when they're learning, love to have someone tell them that they're learning. Uh, So it's a tension that that we face. And we have a lot of tutorials. So we do all our tutorials as videos that you follow along and started to kind of arrange those into a path. So you do have like progress through all the different videos to learn Hopscotch. And that's somewhat self-administered progress where we tell you that you finished the video, but you could go back and do it again if you wanted. You can skip around if you want, but we do kind of tell you the order. And you can see that now I've done, you know, the first module of Hopscotch and I'm halfway through the second.
0: That's cool. Um, So I guess, you know, if I were to get my nephew to do hopscotch I'm trying to think about how I can pitch it to him cuz you know he's like fairly sure he wants to go into computer science Oh, cool. you know he's playing with stuff online and trying yeah. to kind of build some applications himself and
1: Oh that's awesome how old is your nephew
0: He's 12 so Twelve? yeah and so you know like in Indian families when you're like you come out of the womb and like your parents are like all right listen you will be an anesthesiologist and if you can't do that then you're going to be this other thing, you know? So who knows? He may go to school and be like, listen, I want to go teach yoga. (laughs) Um,
1: Yeah, totally. I think that especially, you know, if he wants to make apps, there is a very cool property of Hopscotch projects that they play on your your phone and your iPad and all the things that come with it. Like you can use accelerometer and you can use multi-touch and they're basically iPhone and iPad games that you're making, which from what I've seen from kids, if you're like Hey, you can make a game like you see in the app store. They're like, What? Sign me up. I <laughs> yeah. guess I want that.
0: Yeah, that's so true. Cool. Okay. After this I will pitch it to him.
1: Getting customers <laughs> one podcast interview at a time.
0: <laughs> I think that there are probably a lot of engineers who want to kind of gently expose their kids. Yeah, to for programs. sure.
1: And, and I think a lot of engineers, at least in my experience, they do really enjoy what they do. And and, and they're like perplexed why no one else enjoys it. Too. They're like, no, this is so cool. Why can't you? You should try it. It's going to be so awesome. And then everyone else sees programming and it it just feels too hard or the hill is too high to get over. So Hopscotch, I think, lets you show that thing as an engineer. It lets you show your kid that thing that you love and get them there so much faster without also showing them that thing that frustrates the heck out of you every day.
0: Oh yeah. Spending two days to set up your environment. So cool. So, you know, I'm curious about this. Do you think that maybe in 20 years, like everybody will know how to code? I think that's what like a lot of the tech literati seem to... Mm-hmm. be pointing to. But I don't know if everybody does want to code. So I'm curious how you think about that.
1: So I think something that's interesting is, first of all, what does it even mean to learn to code? And, and that's changed over time. So if you look at the history of programmers, it is a history of the grumpy older generation telling the <laughs> new generation that their fancy new tool is not programming. So there were the hardware programmers and they were doing their thing, and then they got assembly language. And the young people were programming in assembly, and the hardware people were like, this is nonsense, this isn't real. And then people started writing, I think probably one level up was Fortran over assembly. And the assembly people were like, that's not real programming, what are you doing? You know, on and on and on, up the abstraction ladder. But of course, they were all doing real programming. You know, the way I like to think about it is making the tool fit the human rather than trying to make the human fit the tool. And you see this in violins and and string instruments. I used to play violin when I was a kid and I started with a quarter size violin, which is a really tiny violin for a little kid. And it's not really any different than a regular size violin. It just fits you. And then as you grow larger, you get a bigger and bigger violin. And I always thought that was really cool that the instrument makers were not like oh, okay, you have to wait until you're big to get good at violin because you know there's all these things you need. They're like, oh no, you can actually start getting good immediately as long as we just adjust the tool a little bit so that it fits your body. And my hope is that we will kind of continue to adjust and refine the programming tools so that they fit humans better rather than fitting computers better, which is often, I think, kind of the way they go, that people design the tools for the computers rather than for the humans who are going to use it.
0: Wow. That's powerful. And it's so true. Um, Yeah, that's really compelling. So if you had to sum up Hopscotch's mission, what would you say it is?
1: Our mission is to teach kids about the powerful ideas of computing while letting them make real software.
0: Awesome. All right, Samantha, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. This is so fun. Hey, Thanks for checking out the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the hiring platform companies use to find the best talent in software development. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or work with us, head over to Gun.io to get in touch. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.